0: This is the definition in my mind of Christian optimism. Don't tell me that it can't be done. I don't know if it will happen, but don't tell me that it can't. And I think that kernel of thought is also what discourages so many people who don't have faith in a God because they're not sure if it actually can. They also don't know if it will, but they don't know if it even can. We have an entirely different kind of a hope. We know that it can. It doesn't matter if it's worst case scenario. If God's behind it, which is the only thing that matters, and our only job is to get on the same page with him, but if he's behind it, there is no fail, there is no loss, there's no impossible. And this is what Jesus said. It's Mark 10, 27. Jesus looked at them. So I picture him like looking everybody right in the eye and saying, With man it is impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. Right? We need to look each other in the eye and say, yeah, on our end, this is impossible. This situation, this trouble, this challenge, this addiction, this depression, this everything. But not with God. That's not how he works. He doesn't work with impossible. There is no impossible. So with man, it is impossible. When we talk to people that don't have a faith. We can acknowledge, yes, I mean, if something miraculous doesn't happen here, it's probably undoable. But... If God steps in, anything can happen. I was thinking through some of those impossible situations that we've seen become possible here over the years at New Hope. So, if someone, speak from our own experience, our own history here at the chapel, if someone tells you it's impossible for you to find the godly spouse that you've been praying for, who do you point to? What do you say? David, Jeff, you guys don't need to stand up, but we can talk about these guys. Maybe any Leah from afar, importing these wonderful grooms and brides, godly people that God connected. What are the chances that our Ians and our Michaelas and our Lindsay would find the people that they did And God? Well, with God, nothing's impossible. So don't tell me that God can't find for you the person that he has for you, even if they're in southern Florida even if they're in illinois or were you in illinois before you i thought so you've been many places but illinois was the last before here Uh, even if you're in indiana and all these other places like it doesn't matter to god he's not thwarted by that so if someone says i'm never going to find that one i'd say well don't tell me never because i've seen it happen i've seen god do that and with you on your own probably impossible How about with children sticking on the family note there and people say, oh, we're just never going to be able to have kids. Point to our own family, our own church family. I probably shouldn't be here for this very reason. My sister shouldn't be here for this very reason. Look through the Bible, all those children, Abraham and Sarah, way beyond age. When God says it's time for that family, God makes that family happen. So don't tell me that it's impossible. It's not impossible with God. It might be impossible with us, yes, so we can start at the normal level, but you can't stop there. This is Christian optimism. The Bible has a word for it. It calls it hope. (laughs) You're hoping in things that haven't happened, but really it's optimism. It's not realism, because realism would be like, well, realistically, humanly speaking, it's not possible. And we can acknowledge that. But we don't have to stay there. We're not supposed to stay there. And when people give us all the pessimism of why the world's falling apart, and why everything's going to be worse, and why nothing can be done, we're supposed to respond with hope. Like, it looks bad, but... Nothing's impossible for God. So let's see what God has in store before we decide what's going to happen. Before we acknowledge our limitations and say, well, that's the end of it. Think about all the people that serve home has helped over the years. Were they thinking, man, there's no way any of this stuff is going to ever get done? Uh Uh-huh, they were. This is never going to happen. And for some, it had been years Uh, God brought us to them because he said, oh, there's someone over here that needs something. Now is the time. And he used us in little ways to bless them. So don't tell me it can't be done because God has done that and we've seen it. Just like the song, he's seen certain miracles, we've seen other miracles. We speak from that perspective. God can do anything. For those that say, God can't provide for all the needs of all the orphans, all the education, all the health, and all these underdeveloped countries around the world. I say, well, what about Sandy Gannon? What about Kisaboka? What about Uganda? We've seen this woman who just randomly felt called to go to Uganda, so just flew there, and now has this ministry called Kisaboka, which means it is possible. And now they have a high school, I think, and a junior high, and a medical center. And like, I get the emails and read them. It's just God's flooding them with favor because he wants to see that done. So if you had asked Sandy years ago, what are you going to do about the problem in Uganda? She'd be like, well, I have no idea and I have no connection. But that wasn't where God stopped. He said, yeah, with you, this is impossible. But with God, all things are impossible. A lot of people are hopeless about the future of our politics and our country, right? Right? seems like divisions abound and all it is is posturing and party lines. Uh, a lot of people are hopeless about the financial situation they're in. Inflation's going up, income's going down. Uh, it's, it's a hard time financially for many people. A lot of people feel helpless about their health. I'm not going to recover from this illness. I'm fighting this unknown vague thing with symptoms that the doctors can't Find These are, with man, legitimate reasons to lack hope. But God. It's easy to feel hopeless when we're in conflict with someone else. That friendship's never going to get restored. That sibling is never going to be reunited. Those children are never going to not be prodigal or estranged. But I've seen too many stories where they were reunited, where God did miracles, healed marriages, brought families back. together. I've seen it so it can be done. We have to start with the can if we have faith. Addictions, I'll never get out of this cycle. I'm stuck in it. We've seen God break those for people. We've seen it. So if we've seen, if it can happen, if it has happened, then it could again Philippians 2.15 says that we are supposed to be children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation in whom you shine as lights in the world. And in my mind, this hope is what shines. It's not just our obedience. If you tell people I pray every day, that doesn't necessarily shine to them. That's your ritual. That's your practice. Good for you. If you tell them, I believe in an afterlife, I have peace, that my soul is safe because Jesus saved me. Like, well, that's good for you. But when you're in the same situation as someone standing next to you, the exact same situation, and you look at the hopelessness and you're like, I wonder how God's going to solve this one. And they're like, I want to quit. That shines. Because it's no longer just a personal thing. It's a response to a shared event. We need to be experiencing the same exact economy, the same exact politics, the same exact religious disputes, the same exact poverty, the same exact addiction. But we're responding to it so differently with a Christian optimism. Now, I say it's Christian because I don't think it's just optimism. Because optimism can be naive if it's not based on God. I think things are going to work out. And then they just don't. And you look like a fool because you were hoping in air. You were hoping in hope. You're hoping in nothing. But if our hope is in God, then the only question is, God, is this something that you want? Because if it is, then nothing can stop him because nothing's impossible. So that's not wishful thinking. This word hope, I looked up a couple of definitions of it. I thought they were helpful. Some of the scholars defined this, the word hope in the New Testament this way. One said, hope in Scripture is not the world's definition of I hope so. Right? Think about that. Like, oh, hope so? No. Hope in the Bible is a different sort of thing. Hope is defined as a desire for some future good with the expectation of obtaining it. Confident hope. Hope is always an expectation of something good as well as descriptive of something for which we must wait. It's not, it will work out. That's not Christian hope. Just a generic something. No, God has led me to this. God is calling me to this. This is what we're praying for. And God has given us faith that we'll get there. We'll talk in a minute about hope and faith. They're similar, but they're not the same thing. Another, um, oh, that, to finish his thought, um, he said, hope is the opposite of despair. So if drug use in our country, in our world, is skyrocketing, if cases of depression are skyrocketing, if suicides are escalating, if the world is a hopeless, angry, scared sort of place, then the opposite of that despair is hope. Hope in God. Not just hope in, what else are you going to hope in that has any confidence it's actually going to work out? And that's where people get to. Like, I think it'll work out. And then they realize it's not based in anything and there's no confidence anymore. That's Despair. Here's another definition, just a couple here. Um, One scholar said, biblical hope is not finger-crossing. It's alive and certain because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's our ultimate proof. The only person who's ever done that to come back to say, I am the Son of God, I'm going to die, it's going to happen, then I'm going to rise, and then rose, and then said here's what God has to say to you. That's ultimately the confidence that we have. Because if that can happen, then Anything can happen. Um, Someone has put it this way, hope is faith in the future tense. Hope is faith in the future tense. Faith is what we hang on to right now, and hope is faith forward. Uh, John Blanchard said, hope is biblical shorthand for unconditional certainty. Unconditional certainty. So the faith and hope, how do they relate? Well, Hebrews 11.1 gives us a very, very clear definition of that. And uh, I'm going to have us turn to a scripture to read in just a moment. But um, Hebrews 11.1 says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. So the hope is in the things that that will happen. Like specific things. I'm praying for my child. I'm praying for my healing. I'm praying for my country. I'm praying for our president. I'm praying for our church. Like Those are the things that are hoped for. And faith is assurance that if God's in them, they will happen. So hope is a very tangible thing. It's not just, I hope it works out. It's, God, what do we need? And you are able. With man, things are impossible. But with God, nothing is impossible. Turn to Hebrews chapter 6. This is the anchoring passage. This is what I want to introduce us to as a passage to read. And I have a few other scriptures I'd like to read to kind of fill out the concept um, As you're turning to Hebrews 6, we're going to start in verse 17. I was thinking about things that are like hope killers, right? And I'd encourage you to think about if these things are um, killing your optimism, killing your hope, uh, and to be careful and be on your guard against these things. Um, I think expectations are hope killers. I really wanted that to work out. I was really hoping for this certain outcome. But we oftentimes like, paint our own expectations of what's going to happen. And it's not something that God's told us. And then we're disappointed when what we wanted didn't happen. We trust God to know better than us. But sometimes we lose hope. Like, I, I wanted that and it didn't happen. Um, we get disappointed. But God's expectations are never disappointed. Another hope killer is failure. You try something and it doesn't work. You, know, you try to kick a habit and you can't. You just keep failing over and over. And you lose hope that it's ever going to happen, that it's ever going to change. Uh, but we're called to hang on to hope in the face of defeat. That's, that's the resurrection story. In the face of death, we hang on to hope because even through death, there's possibility of life. It's never too late. Uh, delays, those are hope killers. I think, again, maybe about our our people praying for godly spouses. (laughs) Why isn't it happening? Why isn't it happening now? I thought that was the one, but that wasn't the one. When is the delay? We lose hope just because it's taking a long time. But there's no such thing as hope without a lot of waiting. You have to have waiting if there's going to be hope. right? Because faith is what you got now, hope is what's coming. And if it's coming, it's not now. There's got to be waiting. There's no such thing as hope without a lot of waiting. And we don't like the waiting, but sometimes the delays kill our hope and we don't get to the end. Or we get to the end and we just regret that whole middle time. Oh, God, why didn't I just believe you and trust you during that time? I lost all my hope because it took so long from my perspective. But you were just planning the way it should be. A couple more hope killers to watch out for before we think about that anchor. Um, Betrayals. When when someone fails us or we fail someone else, that just undermines your confidence in people in general. You know, you lose trust. Uh, You lose the confidence that people will be there for you when you need them or that they won't let you down. Well, newsflash, we're going to let each other down. We're going to fail each other. We're going to hurt each other. We're going to offend each other. That will happen. But we need to have hope that God can restore And hope that there are still good relationships on the other side of the betrayal. Perhaps with that same person, but definitely with others. And sometimes we rob ourselves of the the great relationship that could happen because we're just trying to self-protect against the hurt that just happened. I think about this in terms of church families, too. A church family is this very like amorphous sort of thing. People come in, people go, people come for college and stay in a church for a while. I was in college in Pennsylvania for four years, so I was attending churches, and then I moved back here after that. Uh, some people get job transfers, um, some people looking for a different style of church, and so move to a different form of worship, get married and join someone else in that church. But... Sometimes you build such close friendships with people in your Christian community that when they leave, it feels like, oh, i got to start all over again with someone that I don't know. Well, yeah, but did you love what you had? Can't we have hope that God could give that or even better again? And don't you want the good that God gives? So instead of feeling like, oh, loss, it's, oh, I know it can be good. God, bring good. Bring friends, bring friendships, bring connections. And if he did it once, and you had a great friend that moved away, he can do it again. Don't tell me he can't give us the close friends that we need. Don't tell me he can't give us the accountability partners we need. Don't tell me that he can't restore community when it's been broken or it's shifted. This is what God does. He can, and he is. Even in our midst, we're seeing it. So we can point to our own experiences. We don't just have to take the Bible's kind of abstract word for it. We're living this out right now. We're seeing it. The last hope killer I I thought of before we read our scripture is uh, achievement. You actually get what you wanted, and then you stop wanting anything else. You don't set any more goals. We did it. God helped us. We did it. So you're done? Like... It's just you and the couch now from here on out. Like, it's gotta be something more. Like, that was cool, right? God did that thing. Would you like to see that again? Because He's still in the business of doing this stuff. Christian optimism, hope in God. So that's what brings us to this passage, Hebrews 6. Our hope has gotta be in God. Our hope can't be in ourselves. I'm going to let you down. You're going to let you down. Everyone is going to ultimately fail in some way. We're not perfect, only Christ is perfect. So we're not trying to hope for that. And when it happens, we can be disappointed, we can be hurt, we can feel lost, but we just recognize this is kind of what comes with human. It's what comes with it, but it's not what comes with Christ. It's not what comes with God, so we have a higher hope. Hebrews seven, starting with verse no, Hebrews six, starting with verse 17, says it this way. And I want you to look ahead for the word forerunner. Verse 17, when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise. So God's trying to like prove a point here to all of Abraham's descendants, the heirs of promise. Are Are we painting the picture here? When God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose. That is a beautiful phrase. You should get Michelle to paint that one. That's a good one. I think I want that one on the wall. The unchangeable character of God's purpose. His nature is bound up in what he does. He does what he does because of who he is. The song said he heals because he loves. Like This is just part a parcel of who God is. His character playing itself out in our timeline. So when he wanted to prove who he was and what he does, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things, and this is one of those tangent sentences. It's funny. He only ever gives us the author. He only ever gives us the first one. And he moves on and gets distracted. So it's not just me that goes on tangents. He says two unchangeable things. And then he says one, and then he goes off onto the next thing. By two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. There it is. Number one. I don't know. Insert number two, what you think it might be. But he goes on and says, we who have fled for refuge, God. We fled for refuge that we might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope that is set before us. We're fleeing to Him for refuge. So we may encourage and hold fast to this hope that's set before us. Now we have this, verse 19, Hebrews 6:19, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor for our souls. The you that's really you, not your body, not just your thoughts, not just your emotions. The you that is truly you, the soul, the spirit inside of this body, driving this mind and driving our actions, that soul. The anchor for that says we have a sure and steadfast anchor for our soul. A hope, so the anchor is hope. A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. The curtain represented God's presence in the Old Testament temple. And when Jesus dies, the the historians that recorded that moment said the curtain broke, it ripped, it tore in the temple. And that was a, a visible symbol of Jesus giving us a connection to God that doesn't have to go through a priest. It doesn't have to go through a temple building. It doesn't have to go through a sacrificial system. We can connect directly to God. So Jesus goes forward. Our hope enters God's presence where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. So Jesus tears open the way to God, walks in, brings us behind Him. He's become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And we know that Melchizedek was this non-Jewish priest. He was a priest of the Most High, but that was not involved with Judaism. That's such an interesting thing. It was a God-seeker who wasn't part of the nation of Israel, and Abraham makes sacrifices to him, solidifying his authenticity as a priest. And so Jesus here is breaking apart all the Jewish traditions and saying, these are how we've been pursuing God, but right now... We're going to put those sacrifices to the side. I'm going to put those sacrifices on the cross. And you just go straight into God. We are the priests now that approach God. So you can see as I'm stopping after like every phrase here, there's a million things we could talk about in this. But the word that I want you to think about is the word forerunner. And... This is actually a beautiful word. I came, to, came across the meaning of this word several years back. And every time I read this passage, I can't help but think about it. As I was thinking about this sermon, like I want to read that again. So for those of you who may remember this from sermons years ago, the word forerunner is a nautical term for a person who would get out of a big boat, out in the ocean or the sea, and get into a very small vessel with a rope. The boat, the small vessel, the dinghy, picture like rowing yourself into shore, that was called a prodromos, a little boat. And what did that do? That boat hang onto the rope, which is attached to the ship, and it would row, and would row, and row, and row, up to shore, in around the sandbanks, wherever they were, into the harbor where the big ship was about to go, and it would anchor it. It would anchor the ship into the harbor. Because the boat couldn't get there on its own, it needed to be guided, with the tides and with the sandbars, there was danger. It's only a certain way to get into this harbor. This is what we believe about our faith too, right? There's a certain way to get into heaven. But Jesus goes first. He gets in the prodromos and he hangs onto the rope and he goes in first and he anchors us in heaven. And that's what happens to our souls. Our souls get anchored in heaven. So you can kill our bodies, but it doesn't matter. We're already tethered in the cove. It's already been anchored. And the way to get in is tricky, but that's okay. Because Jesus navigated it. He made it. And he came back and said that he made it. He's like, this is how you get into the cove. If you want to not just have life that's hoping for like, good health and long years and then no idea what comes after that. If you want more than that, talk to the person who went there and came back and said, this is how you get into the harbor. And not just here's a set of instructions, but I actually tied you up in there. So no matter what the wind's doing, the ocean's doing, you're in the boat still in this life. You're tied securely. So this life can come and can go. We can get close to the harbor before we die. We can get far. It doesn't matter. We're tied in. And I love that word, the prodromos. Jesus is our forerunner. That's why we have hope. I don't have hope just in a president. I don't have hope in a country's politics. I don't have hope in the military of a country. These are things that can give us some hope, but all of them are temporary, and all of them are going to be like mediocre in success rate at best. But this life isn't all there is. And so I want to make sure that my soul is anchored where it needs to be. And so that's where my hope is. We try so many things in life, and we kind of get trapped into thinking this life is even more important than it is. It's going to come and go. So we we serve God in it, we enjoy it, But ultimately, it ends. And if our hope is only for this life, the Bible says we are to be pitied more than other men. I'm going to read that scripture for you there. This one's 1 Corinthians. Um, Paul says, If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. Right? If there's no resurrection, then it didn't happen to Jesus. But if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. And your faith is in vain. And we are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ. Whom, if he didn't raise, it must be true, the dead can't be raised. If the dead aren't raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. And you are still in your sins. And all those who have fallen asleep in Christ have actually just perished. And here's the key verse, the last one. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we of all people are most to be pitied. We're like sacrificing things for a God in a future that didn't matter. Could have just done whatever you wanted in this life and instead you spend your life like restricting and trying not to, it was for nothing. Paying sacrifices now for a future word that didn't come with most to be pitied. Why would you live that way? But if the resurrection of the dead does happen, then what we do here has eternal consequences. If we're only hoping to have a better job or get a bigger place to live or have a larger family, that's going to come and that's going to go. And if it doesn't happen, we're going to say, God, where were you? But when I read through the pages of the Bible, I don't see something that says, I promise you this number of kids, I promise you this spouse, I promise you this job. I promise you economic security. I promise you prestige and influence. I don't see God promising those things. They happen to some of his people, some of his children, and they don't happen for others. So if we set ourselves up to only hope that this life is the best life it'll ever be, so like a health and wealth approach to faith, God will give me everything I ever wanted if I just love him. And love it, We're losing sight that this life is not the life that matters. This life is the prelude to the life that matters. And so let's not get too caught up in hoping that we have every illness healed and every house expansion that we want and every dollar in the bank account that we want and all the looks that we want and all the friends that we want because this is just the beginning. And it's actually out in the sea in the middle of a storm and it could capsize at any moment. It could just be done. But that actually doesn't quench our hope if we're not putting our hope in this life. I am not disappointed by God if I lose my home, if I realize that he'll always provide a place for me to live. Did he always say he'd give me 428 Broadway in Rainham? No. He said, I promise you, I'll we'll have food and clothing and shelter. Doesn't he even give those to the birds of the air, beasts of the field? Yes. So, do I lose my hope in God if I lose my house? No. I'm like, this is a disaster. And with man, this is impossible. But how will God provide for our food? How will he provide for our clothing? How will he provide for our housing? But he will. Because he promises it. But you know what? No matter how nice a house we have, eventually we're going to leave it. Eventually it's going to be gone. Whether to another place or to eternity. And in the end it was just a house. It was a place to live. So whether it's small or big, what difference did it make? Our hope isn't in the present. It's in the future. Our hope has to be eternal if it's going to carry any weight. Another scripture that uh, is about scripture, so interestingly the Bible kind of talking about itself, I try to teach on these Sunday morning conversations from Scripture because I feel like my opinions are no more valid than yours. So if we're just going to share opinions here, then we're just, oh, I think this, I think this, then we go home. What we're trying to get is God's opinion on things, timeless truth that will apply in any generation, any time. And if it's his truth and he invented things like the universe and people and relationships and salvation, then he certainly knows how they work. And if we can just take the truth... We can apply it and figure out what we're supposed to do. So this is why when I teach, I'm trying to like dig out the scriptures, the truths from God that will help us, but also the Bible says this about itself. So here's a scripture that Paul writes in Romans 15. He says, Whatever was written in the former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So why was the story of the Red Sea written down? That through endurance and the encouragement of that story, we might have hope. Because if God can part a Red Sea, he certainly can provide for us. Why was the restoration of the Jewish people to Jerusalem, the rebuilding of the walls with Nehemiah, the rebuilding of the temple with Ezra, why were those things written down? so that we can read those moments where God intervened in people's lives and through endurance and through the encouragement of those historical events, we could have hope. So if you are lacking hope, read the Bible. It's a book of hope. It's a book of fulfilled expectations. All these people who waited hundreds of years for a Messiah and then this Jesus character shows up, Nothing like what anybody expected, but more than anybody could have expected. Are you willing to wait 500 years for the thing that you want? The people of God did. They waited hundreds of years. And God, in his perfect timing, the fullness of time, it's like now is the right moment. And that's not how we think. It's not how we're trained to think. It's not how uh, general uh, marketing wants us to think. They, They want us to think we should buy now and buy quick, Limited time offer, you know, for the next two days only. Impulse, go. And then we have a God who's like, I think I'll make that happen in 322 years. (laughs) Because in the big picture of his timeline, that makes sense to him. For what it means for all people, not just how we can be happy in this life now. God's thinking bigger. Would we be willing to spend our whole lives working towards something that we don't see fulfilled and be totally okay with that? This center is kind of like our, 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 big, our big dream, right? God's giving it to us. We're trying to honor Him in it. What if we spend 30 years, 50 years, and we're still not there? We know we're on His track. He's making things happen. But what if it just doesn't happen? If we didn't enjoy the fulfillment of the promise in our lifetime, is it okay? Okay. Do we die feeling like failures because we couldn't pull this thing together? Maybe it wasn't for us. Maybe our job was just like groundbreaking and someone else's job was grand opening. Mm -hmm. It's a different timeline with God. And so our hope can't just be, I hope, really hope that we get to open the doors in the center and have a coffee shop. And I hope it happens as soon as possible. My hope is that that place could be a place that we could plant where God would do good work in this world and that people would turn to him. Whenever that starts happening and however long that continues to happen, golden. It's a different kind of hope. What are our expectations versus his? So if you want hope, read the Bible. It's not just a list of rules. It's not a boring old thing. It's actually fascinating stories of so many times where God spoke to people and they still apply to us. Two more scriptures, and then I'm going to give us a few minutes to talk with one another before we go to communion. Remember we talked about shining like stars, um, being bright, shining that hope, I think, is what comes out of us. Um, People should be asking us why we have that hope. It should be visible enough that it's noticeable. This means when someone is being pessimistic about the state of our country that you you do counterpoint to their point that you speak up and you say it looks rough i don't know how it's going to work but i have faith that god can turn it around you have to speak up in those moments by staying silent you just allow the lack of hope to permeate that conversation if you're in a tough place in a relationship or in conflict with someone or someone you're talking to is and like, oh, man, this is never going to work. You are expected to speak up and say, I don't know the solution. And with me, with you, maybe this is impossible, but that's not how it is with God. Jesus said, with God, all things are possible. So we're meant to be proponents, advocates for possibility. Possibility. Advocate verbally with our life how we live. Do we go into fearful hiding or do we live confidently and cheerfully, even in the midst of things? Not naively, but with faith in God. That should shine. And so that's where this scripture comes in. Because I hope people ask you why you have hope. We're supposed to respond in a certain way. Peter says it this way. In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, which means as like the only thing that matters as the one and only, in our heart, honor Christ as the one and only, always being prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that's in you. So this means we need to be living hopefully outwardly enough that people ask, and we need to have thought in advance, which is what we're doing today, here's your prep, um, that we would know what to say. How do I explain that to someone Why I'm not as scared as they are, even though the situation is just as dire. We need to be shining. We also need to be prepared to answer. And he gives two pieces of advice. And I encourage you to take these two really to heart. He says, yet do this with gentleness and respect. There's an easy way to be overbearing in our hope. You know, we can use our hope like a weapon against someone. If you just believed in God, then you'd be able, you wouldn't worry about it either. All right, don't you have any faith? Or right, it's only going to be in God that you have faith. It's setting ourselves up as if we're some amazing superior person. It's, we're not the thing of faith. We're just clinging to the thing of faith and hopefully introducing people to that anchor for their souls. And so it has to be gentle. Recognize that if you don't have God, you should be despairing too. But you have God, so there's hope. And to do with respect. And this ties into our our conversation. Uh, What was it? uh, The relevance experiment. You know, recognizing why people think the way they do. If someone has not been brought up in a life that has faith or hope in it, it makes perfect sense that they should feel cynical about life. That makes a lot of sense. So respect that and say, "I I can see how you'd feel that way. I get that. But for me, I have this confidence that comes because I believe there's a God that's bigger and I think there's a future. And so I don't know the answers, but I think it can happen. I think it could work out if God stepped in. That's a respectful way rather than a combative way. And this is Peter's advice. It's the Bible's advice to us. Always be ready. Why are you hopeful? So you better be hopeful. Don't be depressed, Christians. Don't be pessimistic, Christians. Don't get sucked into all the conversations. Oh, the world is bad. Oh, COVID's bad. Everything's bad. Woe is us. When you enter into those, represent Jesus represent something that can have hope, even when everything is worst-case scenario. And the Bible says we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. Right, So we actually can do anything as long as Christ is behind it. So let's take a few minutes before we celebrate resurrection and the impossible becoming possible and just find a few people around you and, and talk about where you are. Maybe you want to start by saying you know, whether you're naturally optimistic. Some are, some aren't. But this isn't natural human optimism. This is a confidence that God can do anything and maybe share some of the thoughts that are speaking to you this morning and what you might experiment with them this week. And then we'll move on to worship and communion. Huddle up, find some friends, and we'll we'll continue.